holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. And welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? We're just a few days away from Christmas, and I hope that uh, you've no, got no, it. No, no, excuse me, excuse me. Can't be called Christmas anymore because of political correctness, which has gone mad, by the way, absolutely mad. It is now called Generic Festive Holiday Experience. I know this is true because I read it in the Daily Mail, the comment section of the Daily Mail, by the way, which is, of course, the... Uh, the creme de la creme of what the Daily Mail has to offer. Uh, yeah, as I said, we're just a few days away from Christmas, and I hope if you are celebrating Christmas, you've got all your bits and pieces done, that Santa Claus will be arriving with all the right packages, and you've got the food and the wine and the beers and everything stocked up. Who the fuck was that guy? What an absolute cunt. Anyway, we're talking, well, I'm talking, and you're listening in the week that we lost in the Carabao Cup. 2-0 to Tottenham. Boo, that's never nice. It's never nice to lose to Tottenham. And I will be talking uh, to James about this in uh, a few minutes' time. We've got a lot to get through, actually, after that game. It's not an Arsecast Extra, by the way. It's just a regular Arsecast, uh, but with James on it. Because this week has been absolutely crazy, mental, hectic chaotic in terms of work in terms of all kinds of things going on so i haven't really been able to do a lot of organizing in terms of getting a podcast together plus everybody is out on the piss because it's the week before christmas if it's not office parties it's after work drinks which you know stretch on a bit longer into the evening than they would family commitments like doing things with you know your children and stuff like that so people aren't necessarily around this week in the same way that they are in other weeks but james was So, James and I will be discussing the Tottenham game, the overall performance, the chances we missed, the defending, the the team selection, and, of course, the major issue, which I think is really worthy of some serious examination, is the absence of Mesut Ozil from the squad altogether for what were described as tactical reasons. That right there is what you call a diplomatic silence. But James and I will go through all of that uh, between now and the end of the show, actually very shortly. This week as well, I am going to give you the winner of the t-shirt competition, which I ran a couple of weeks ago and I completely forgot to give the winners of. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, After myself and James chat, I'll give you the uh, t-shirt winners from goodhonestpro.com. Now, after the the game, leaving aside the football side of things uh, with that encounter with Tottenham, there have been a a couple of unsavory moments. Well, there was one during the game, wasn't there, where... Uh, Deli Ali was hit with a bottle, a plastic bottle thrown from the crowd. And I could make a joke here, like I did on the live blog, and say it's a shame 
because it should have been a piano or an anvil. But of course, that's just a joke in the in the heat of the moment and in the heat of the game. But nobody can condone that. And I have to say that Arsenal put out a really great statement uh, today addressing that particular issue to say that the club have been embarrassed by whoever it was that threw that bottle. They say we've all been embarrassed by the individual who threw the bottle at Deli Alley. Behaviour like this is no place uh, at Emirates Stadium. We're not responsible for the actions of one individual, which is very true, of course, but we send our apologies to Deli Alley and everyone at Tottenham Hotspur for this incident. And I think it's really uh, a really excellent way uh, of dealing with this. Not only does it make it very clear that that kind of behavior won't be tolerated and shouldn't be tolerated by anybody, regardless of how inflamed passions are and how big the rivalry is and how much of an absolute prick Deli Alley is, there's just no justification for it. There isn't. If it had happened to one of our players, we'd all be outraged, and rightly so. And I'm glad that the club have addressed it so publicly and I think 100% correctly. It would be just easy to leave that statement, wouldn't it? To say, well, we're not responsible for the actions of any individual. Of course not. But as a club, we've made an apology, and I'm sure it will be accepted, as it should be. And I think it's a lesson for other clubs. When something unsavory happens with their support, that they have to own it, and they have to take responsibility for it. Let's remember that this is the week in which a Tottenham fan was banned from football for four years and fined £500 for throwing a banana skin at Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I'm curious now to see what the punishment for this Arsenal fan, when they uh, identify him, they have a picture of him and they're working to identify him. I'm very curious to see what the punishment will be for this particular offence. Will it be bigger? Will the ban be longer? Can we read anything into that? Should we read anything into that? I think in this instance, it's going to be the club that meet out the punishment to this particular fan, whereas with the Tottenham fan, it went before a magistrate, and the magistrate was the one who decided that there was indeed a racial element to the act, whether it was spur of the moment or heat of the moment. You just can't escape the connotation of throwing a banana skin at a blank man. It's impossible. Regardless of how much you preach your innocence and how you're not a racist or anything like that, it's still a racist act. So we'll see how the two things match up. I know that some people would say that one is more serious than the other because it's more insidious. It's more weighted. So we'll wait and see what Arsenal do, and then we'll have to wait and see how it compares to to the punishment that was uh, given to that particular Tottenham fan. There was also reports of anti-Semitic chanting at the Arsenal ground. And while a couple of weeks ago we had the uh, the great episode with Clive and Tayo talking about the abuse leveled at Raheem Sterling, a number of people were saying, well, why didn't you address the issue of the word yids being used uh, against Tottenham fans? Because it is anti-Semitic language. Uh, even if that's what they call themselves, you have to listen to people who tell you it is anti-Semitic. My answer to that to those people on Twitter was that look this I couldn't derail uh, the the conversation with those two guys and ask them to comment on something uh, that didn't really apply to them or that wasn't in their experience uh, I just think it would have derailed that conversation and there was no need to do that but it is certainly an issue that we will talk about in the future on this podcast and I will get somebody who is more informed than I am who can speak to this from the same kind of perspective that Clive and Tayo spoke about the abuse uh, of Raheem Sterling uh, but look you know, when people criticize 
Chelsea fans for their behaviour and it's absolutely right to criticise it and condemn it. We can't close our eyes to things that happen closer to home and pretend that everything in the Arsenal garden is hunky-dory. It's not. We all have a responsibility to confront these issues as and when they happen and hopefully the more they do, the less frequently they will occur. So look, let's leave that there to one side for now and let's get on with all the other stuff. And as I said, this is not an Arscast Extra. This is in fact an Arscast, a regular old Arscast. But with me to discuss what's going on this week on the pitch and off it is James. Hello, James. Goodly, not goodly, uh, afternoon. I don't know, Is does goodly stick on? good afternoon. Good I afternoon. Think. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a good afternoon. It's just a greeting, isn't it? It is just a greeting, a formality, convention. A, a convention of society, just like hello. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice to be on the Arscast as well, not the Arscast Extra. What a treat for me. Yeah, what a treat for the listeners too, because they're going to get an Arscast Extra before Christmas too, so we're really overexposing each other in an uh, wow, aural sense. Sounds terrible. It does. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, well, they've, they've been very good this year, the listeners, haven't they? They have. They all the presents. They have. They maybe. Maybe we'll have a treat for them on Sunday on the Arscast Extra. Maybe. We'll see. Again, the use of the word treat. Stretching the definition. It is very much stretching the definition. I'm not sure by any standards how it could be called a treat, unless you're into (laughs) masochism and self-sabotage and, you know, just... uh, If you hate your ears, maybe. (laughs) Well, look, let's move away from ears and into the game uh, that happened this week. Tottenham came to the Emirates on Wednesday night and went away 2-0 winners in the Carabao Cup. Um, you know, it's a it's a strange one because it's always painful losing to them. And even though I was able to put into context the competition, the uh, the various issues that Unai Emery had to contend with when picking his team, the potential benefit to us of not having to play Chelsea twice in January and maybe a final against Manchester City because we remember what happened in the in the final last year against Manchester yeah. City it is still a pain in the arse losing to them particularly when they they sort of lord it up at the final whistle um I thought it was quite funny Danny Rose saying Arsenal celebrating the the league win a couple of weeks ago like they won the World Cup as if Tottenham didn't do exactly the same on Wednesday night mm. yeah and, and, you know, we have actually won things as well, unlike Tottenham when yes. they celebrate those things. I mean, I, yeah, it was disappointing. I suppose almost in the light of naming a, a very strong starting eleven. I think probably stronger than anyone anticipated. I think that casts a particularly disappointing light on the result. Um, you know, if you if you lose but you play a weakened team, you can kind of accept it. But when it's pretty much as strong as you can manage out there and you still lose, it's a little bit more painful. But I must say... I, I don't like losing any derby game and I didn't want to lose this one. Mm. And the both goals that went in, you know, I was gutted as I saw each one hit the net and I realised, especially after the second one, I didn't really ever feel like we were gonna come back into it. But after the game, when the draw was made, when I saw that potential two legged semi final against Chelsea that Spurs will now have to face, mm. uh, the fact that that's two of our top four rivals, you know, very, very busy in the month of January, and the fact that you're pro- almost certainly looking at another final against City, which I don't think anybody enjoyed last time out, that all made me feel a little bit better about the mm. whole thing. City are playing Burton, Burton Albion. Uh, so there's yes. there's no question that over two legs, 
you know, they're going to go through to the final. Uh, it's, uh, you know, a one-leg cup game can sometimes spring a surprise, as we know, but there's no way that Burton over two legs are going to beat Manchester City. And, you know, we can look at this semi-final between Tottenham and Chelsea and hope that they kick the absolute shit out of each other. Like, seriously, mm. I'm on board with all of that. Whatever level of effort and injury and violence they have to put into each game, uh, you know, just go for it. Rollerball football, that's what I say between the two teams. Let them have at each other. Um, there was the, a game like, well, like that a couple on. of years ago, wasn't there, when Spurs were going for the title and I, I think Hazard scored. And yeah. They, uh, it was the year Leicester won the league and mm. Spurs just completely imploded all over the pitch, really, you know, starting fights everywhere. It'd be nice to see something like that again. I Yeah, I uh, maybe I shouldn't tell this story, but uh, no, I won't. I won't. I better not. <laughs> I better not. It's just, it, okay. it, it breaks a little confidence. But if you can imagine somebody who was playing for Chelsea that night who might have enjoyed seeing Tottenham lose their shit, it's, it revolves around that a little bit. Right. right. Uh, so, sure, yeah. Sure. So there you go. Anyway, um, the team selection, Granite Jacket centre-back, you know, it's, it's not ideal, really. I don't think Jacket was that bad. But it again speaks to the issues that we have back there that Emery felt he must know that he weakens us in midfield and he weakens us at the back by playing Xhaka. But he mustn't have had any other choice in his mind other than to pick Xhaka back there. He's clearly a player that he trusts a great deal in terms of, you know, doing a job. Will you do this job for me, Granite? And Granite will say, yes, boss, I will do that job for you. I think he's probably a very compliant lieutenant for Unai Emery. He'll do he'll do what he's asked and he'll do his best. Um, but when you look at the, the available options to him, he couldn't really play Monreal there because then we'd be playing another out-of-position fullback, whether it was Carl mm-hmm. Jenkinson, Lichsteiner, or Maitland-Niles on the left and somebody, you know, Jenkinson on the right, for example. Um, Mustafi was injured. Koscielny could not start another game. Having just come back, it would be ludicrous to start him for the third time in, in a week. And mm. people speak about the young players at the club, Zek Medley, perhaps, or, or uh, Plezaguelo, who is injured, I believe. So he, he wouldn't have been an option. There really was, Kolasinac, of course, missing as well. There really wasn't any other option for Emery than to choose Xhaka, which I think really speaks volumes as to the to the way this squad is being stretched right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, he could have gone for Lichsteiner as a centre-half or or perhaps um, Hamid Elneny pressed into action. But I think he was mm. kind of impressed enough with the job Xhaka's done both at left-back and centre-back when he's been asked this season. You know, he's not really let Emery down in those situations. And... It was a big call, I think, to to use him in a back four. I think it's one thing in a back three where you've got two other guys yeah. alongside you, but when it's just you and another centre half, I think that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, and I think it cost us ultimately. I mean, if you look at our defensive line when Son raced beyond it in the first half, it was kind of all over the place. You know, there wasn't really much cohesion there, but it was a, a makeshift back four. And let's not forget, mm. Ainsley Maitland Niles hasn't played a ton of football as a right back either. Yeah. So. You know, it was a, a bit of a hodgepodge defence and I'm sure, you know, we, we've spoken about it already, but it's got to be top of the agenda, hasn't it, in January as centre-half yeah. because there's an immediate need. You know, we need someone who can come in and fix this crisis that we've got in terms of personnel, but there's also a, a mid- and long-term need. You know, when you look at the ages of Koscielny, Monreal, Socrates, we'd need someone in their kind of mid-20s who can be a mainstay of this defence for the yeah. next 
five years. So whether yeah, whether I they can push find the button and do it. So do I. I think it's really important that this uh, team gets some investment. But maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. Uh, in the Arscast Extra on Sunday that we're going to do. Sure. We'll do that and we'll, we'll touch on this subject a little more because I do think it's important. But but just to point out, you know, Xhaka is an honest player, I think, in terms of what he tries to give you on the pitch. But, uh, you know, there are basic, the automatisms in a way, right? When you know a position really, really well, you know, you're much more likely to play well. And I'm not saying both goals were Xhaka's fault because they weren't, but he just wasn't quite high enough um, for the for the first goal and he played Son onside. And if you look at the second goal again, as Kane goes up to challenge for that ball, Koscielny drops off because he's expecting his central defensive partner to go and challenge. And you can kind of yeah. see him throw his arms out a bit when Xhaka steps off. And Xhaka steps off because he's not quite sure what he should do in that situation. Should he push high up the pitch? Should he get tight to the forward uh, in the centre circle? Or does he give himself space to to drop back and maybe intercept? And it was the wrong decision. He should have challenged because Kane got on the ball far too easily. Even if, if Xhaka hadn't won the header, you know, he could have been right up his arse and, and uh, prevented him from playing the pass. So, you know, that natural not having that natural knowledge of the central defensive situation was an issue for, for both the goals. And also we were undone by two long balls, two kickouts, which really shouldn't have caused us the danger that they did. That should be meat and drink stuff for, for the center of a defense. I know you're not going to win every ball, but you know, proper organization and proper defensive um, structures and proper defenders would have made those two goals. Well, not that they wouldn't have happened, but you know, we would have made it much more difficult for Tottenham to create those chances. Mm. Well, I mean, you looked at their lineup at the start, they left out Harry Kane, uh, but they had the likes of Lucas, Mora and, and Son. And it was immediately obvious their threat was going to be on the break, mm. just pacing behind. Uh, and it was horribly predictable, I think, how the two goals came about. Um, and, and it, you know, of course, Shaka at centre-half is not the ideal guy to deal with that situation. But that was kind of, you know, the cards we were dealt. That was mm. the option that we were left with. And I'm not sure that an Elneny or a Lich Steiner would have fared that much better really no probably not which again comes back to this point about uh, investment in the centre of our defence Unai Emery after the game was very uh, he didn't really focus on the defensive issues that we had but he was more keen to say that we weren't efficient enough up front and we didn't take the chances that we created I don't think we were especially good uh, creatively there was obviously something missing from from our attack but mm. we had the best opening chance of the game uh, when Mkhitaryan went through, played through by Aaron Ramsey. You know, it's it's obvious to say that if he scores there, the, the game takes a, a different complexion. But, you know, he scored in a derby after 13 minutes. You know, it, it gives the crowd a lift. And even if you do have a setback, as we saw in the league game a couple of weeks ago, the crowd are so behind you and enthusiastic then that it, it, it doesn't really damage you the way that the goals, I think, damaged us last night. It was a really bad miss from Mkhitaryan, who is a player who, who frustrates me. I know he scored twice at the weekend, but in general... I find him quite frustrating in the way, and I said this before, in the way that Theo Walcott frustrated me. Just the lack of, I don't know what it is, that just doesn't seem to be a decisiveness in the way that he plays, uh, particularly at key moments. That was a really key moment in that game, and we were found wanting. Yeah, it's a really fantastic chance. And actually, 
you know, it's it's an all right save, but it's it's nowhere close to the save that kept Aaron Ramsey out. His left foot volley yeah. in the near post. I mean, that that was a, a really good save. This one wasn't that difficult for Gazaniga, and I think Mkhitaryan should obviously have scored. It's a tricky one with him because he he does seem to adopt very good positions. He, he has plenty of chances to score, and we saw, you know, finally a bit of benefit from that at the weekend with mm. the brace that he got. But too often he he lacks a bit of conviction. You feel in those areas and. I, I think that it's impossible to judge his contribution without thinking about his salary. That's what I find. I, I, mm. I look at what he costs us, uh, especially at a time when we're looking at trying to strengthen the squad and maybe reshape some of the, the balance in terms of the wages. And he's someone you look at and you go, God, I'm not really sure he's he's justifying that money right now. No, I don't think he is. Not, not the kind of salary that we're paying him. Uh, and look... Maybe there are times where you have to look at or leave aside what a player earns. Um, there are a couple Maybe. of instances, you know, that we're going to talk about, I guess, where we're not going to be able to do that. But it is, you know, you're looking for value for money or you're looking for end product. And when you make that kind of financial investment in a player, there's a level of expectation that comes with that. If you are one of the club's mm-hmm. highest paid players, then people expect from you that's natural and it doesn't just apply to football if you're the highest paid employee in any company if you're not producing in your job whatever it is people are going to be critical of that talk to me about Alex Iwobi please because Mm. again he he had this weird kind of performance where a lot didn't go as well as it should have for him you know he loses the ball he tries to be adventurous and often fails in his uh, adventurousness. And at the same time, a lot of what we did that was dangerous came through him. You know, you think about the Ramsey chance, there were a number of crosses that caused problems. Uh, You know, he is about the only player who will try and take somebody on in this team. You know, in a team where a lot of the players not necessarily play it safe, but don't have the either ability or the confidence or the instruction to go at the opponent and maybe uh, burst through the lines and and create space. When you fail, it looks bad, but you've got to have somebody trying at least to do that, don't you? He's a weird one for me. I I think, well, I've seen a lot of criticism of Alex Awobi in the last few games, and I, I do understand it, actually, but I think... I think I'm sort of a bit of a lone voice in this in that I generally am happier when I see him in the starting lineup than when I don't. I okay, think it's because- can I just stop you there? Can I ask you if that's because of what we've got available to us at this moment in time based on this yeah. squad or, you know, you wouldn't be averse, let's say, if we went out and got somebody who could improve in that position surely no no. I'm, yeah. I, no 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 I'm not saying that Alex Awobi is you know the best player in in England even in his position um, but I feel like given the way that Unai Emery does want to play and the little things we know about him uh, you know one of those is that kind of he likes that sort of inside forward player you know that creative player who comes in off the flank and gives space mm. and combines with the fullback. I think Iwobi does that better than most. And I think that he does... What else he does is that he is very... And much more so than last season, very physically intense. I feel like he is working a lot harder. I think he does more defensive work than he gets credit for. I think he presses more than he gets credit for. Now, I see the same thing as everyone else. I see him overhit passes, you know, that, that roll out of play. I see him dribble down alleys. I see him hold on to the ball too long. 
But I do think that for the most part, the first part of what he does is very good. Like his ability to get away from his marker is 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 pretty decent. It's his decision making after that point that I think is where the problem lies. And maybe that won't ever be corrected. It's something we've talked about with him for quite a long time. And, you know, he's approaching the age where you kind of either make that step or, or you don't. I just feel like um, as much as I see the flaws in his game, I don't know that we have a, an alternative that I prefer. Sure. At the moment, that's true, I think. Um, but, I, uh, but you know, if you ask me what's your January shopping list, it would be a centre-half and a a wide forward you know that they're, they're mm. the two positions that I really think we most obviously need to strengthen that well maybe apart from left back yeah I I, I feel you know I, I get the frustration with him as well I do uh, I, I can see there are good parts to his game I can see there are parts of his game which drive people mad I do mm. fear somewhat that he is becoming a bit of a lightning rod for criticism I feel like it goes a bit too far with him and you know you can, you can hear it, it in the crowd yeah he's an I academy think. boy like he's grown up at this football club as well um and, and i know it's just part and parcel of football life that in every team in every kind of era in every generation there is a player who comes in for criticism that they don't really deserve and i feel like that's going on with iwobi and you know at some point it becomes too much at some point, it goes too far, and it's very difficult to salvage a player's reputation among the fans. I think he does try hard. I think he needs more coaching. I think certainly defensively, he could do with more coaching. There was a moment last night where it could have been the Sissoko shot where I think Iwobi didn't really mm. do as much as he could have to get back, and thankfully Sissoko whacked it over the bar. But, you know, you would hope that... Unai Emery and his coaching staff will sit down and say, look, when you get into that position, it's, it's sort, he sort of reminds me a bit of Oxlade-Chamberlain in that sense, that he'd get back so far, but in those final moments, for whatever reason, would end up just switching off or ball-watching and, and things would happen in front of him that he could have got, uh, could have got himself between that, the action and the goal, for example. But I do feel like the criticism and the abuse that's uh, leveled at him is, is a bit too much. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I sort of tried to figure out why that is. I wonder if it's to do with um, there's a lot of frustration built up around him already. You know, a bit like with Arsene mm. Wenger, it was like he only needed to have one bad game for people to be on his back, and it sometimes feels a bit like that with Iwobi. I feel like his mistakes uh, are quite noticeable. Like, I think because mm. he plays with a, a creditable degree of adventure, uh, I almost am reminded of... Andrea Sharvin, when he had his sort of bad games, it, you, it was so obvious, you know, he sort of couldn't play a pass right. And mm. Wobi sometimes feel like that, but there'll be good moments in there. I just feel like without Danny Welbeck, who did offer you kind of a combination player potentially from that left-hand side, um, I think Iwobi is is the right kind of player for Emery's, Emery's system. I'm not saying he's the best player for Emery's system, and if we can upgrade, fantastic. But given his reservations about certain other players, I can see why he is a favourite of Emery right now. Yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of people talk about Iwobi in the context of the absence of Mesut Ozil, uh, which is the other big issue yeah. from from last night's game, that, look, Iwobi can't do this, Iwobi, you know, blah, 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 play Ozil. But, I mean, they're different players. They're not the same kind of player. 
uh, at all no. in terms of of what they bring a team. And you know, you've said it that that Emery likes this kind of hardworking inside forward, somebody who can. Somebody who can at least uh, break through the through the lines at times, and some of his footwork is fantastic. Iwobi, I think he's got some issues with his with his crossing. He doesn't necessarily get his head up as as much or as quickly as he should, and certainly his shooting is, is something he needs to work on. When you think about the chance that he missed at two two in the game against Southampton, it, it's costly. But I don't really see that Ozil uh, in for Iwobi would necessarily uh, make us that much better based on the way that Emery wants that particular player to play so no let's think about we can have a chat about Ozil yeah of course of course I mean I think it's a right. huge I think it's a huge thing I can't understand why people are a bit laissez-faire about this and I know that there is the the cult of Ozil out there uh, in certain sections of social media who will not warrant or hold any truck with any criticism of him or what's going on. There's always an explanation. But, you know, sure. the, I think when when a player of his calibre, of his quality, of his stature, one of your captains, let's remember that he is one of the, f- the five captains at Arsenal Football Club, who has played 100 minutes of football since November 11th, is left out of a, a North London derby, albeit in the Carabao Cup, for tactical reasons... Come on, what the hell is going on here? There's something really wrong uh, between him and Emery, uh, between Emery and him. I don't know where the truth of it exactly is, but you can't look at this situation and think that it's just, uh, he's he's just resting him for the game against Burnley at the weekend. I don't know how that's possible. No, I mean, absolutely not. He didn't rest anybody else, did he? You know, apart from Lauren Koscielny, who... It was a very particular case. Uh, and Ozil's barely played. You know, as you say, it's a handful of minutes. It's his back injury. So, but he's not injured. Course, he's, ta- yeah. he's left out for tactical reasons. I mean, that's a huge thing to say. Because it's so easy to just say it's the back injury. You know, if they wanted to, they could go, oh yeah, back spasm again. Or he's mm. ill. It's Christmas after all. You know, he's always ill this time. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, it would be very, very easy for the club, or for Emery rather, to hush this up and make it look like an innocuous omission. Uh, it isn't. And what did you call Emery in your blog a couple of days ago? I think the arch-pragmatist. Yeah. So he's not a guy who I believe, given how pragmatic we know he can be, would cut off his own nose to spite his face, you know, by leaving out one of his most talented players unless there was something very, very serious going on. Uh, it yeah. doesn't make sense for him to do no, that. It, it, and, it, go on. No, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, my personal interpretation of it is that he is essentially showing his bosses, so showing Sven and Raul, look, I... I, I don't know what to do with this guy because it's not his decision who he buys and who he sells. Ultimately, yeah. you know, that's not he can't transfer list Meza Erzul. That's not his authority. He all he can do is send a message to the people whose job that is the, to build and manage the squad and recruit people. And I think that's very clearly what he's doing. And it, maybe it even goes beyond them to the owners, where he's like, "Look, I've got this guy. He's costing me all this money." He's not for me. Yeah, it it is. I mean, there are stories today that Arsenal will be open to offers for Mesut Ozil. Um, whether good, that's good luck to them. I mean, it's yeah. not going to be an easy 
proposition, is it? I mean, is that a crazy thing to say? A World Cup winner, one of the most talented players in European football, and I, I really struggle to see a buyer. There are very few clubs that can afford to pay somebody £350,000 a week. Mm. Very few. You know, um, it's, a, it's a really, I think it's a really bad situation because we can see that there's something definitely going on between Ozil and Emery in terms of how Emery wants to set up his team. You know, we did talk about how when he came in, these demands that he was placing on players would be embraced by some and not embraced by others. You know, and, and let's be absolutely clear about this. Under Arsene Wenger, Mesut Ozil was indulged in every way possible. I'm going to play a clip here from Aaron Ramsey, who did one of those, you know, who's this, who's that, and who's the teacher's pet uh, at the football club. And this is what he had to say. Probably, uh, yeah, Mesut is probably uh, the teacher's pet. Uh, he goes a few extra days off than the rest of us. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's always in the boss's room asking for something or whatever, but yeah, he seems to get it. So, under Wenger, when Ozil needed a day off, he got a day off. If he wanted to miss a trip up north, he missed a trip up north. That's what happened under Wenger. That was Wenger's way of managing him. And I don't think Unai Emery is prepared to manage him in the same way. I think he wants from Ozil what he wants from every player. What he expects from every player is 100% commitment, 100% effort at all times. And I wonder if that's a bit of a culture shock for Ozil. I think it might be. I mean, I saw this tweet earlier from um, Ricky G, who's at Geezy Peas, who's who knows his football really well. And he said, uh, he said personally, I don't think Emery has really given us all the backing he should have done. For me, I think he should have come in and from the start made it clear to Ozil, you're my man, I trust you, I'm making you captain and building the team around you. Give me everything and I'll give you mine. Now, I hear that. I also think, is, I mean, A, he's made Ozil one of his captains. Yeah. Uh, one of his five captains. He's as much captain as anyone else in the squad. And B, isn't that the treatment that Arsene Wenger gave Ozil that we sort of felt never really got him to produce consistently enough? Mm. Uh, to say, you know... I build the team around you. You're my guy. I feel like we made a commitment to the manager, uh, and he's never he's never going to be that sort of manager. I don't think he's ever going to really indulge someone. We saw him have problems, albeit in a different situation with Neymar at Paris Saint Germain. I just what does feel slightly at odds is giving Mesut Ozil this huge contract and appointing this manager. It doesn't feel like those decisions were particularly in sync but no well but perhaps I mean, Emery expected the player to respond better you know m- maybe he did maybe he did and maybe it is you know difficult to break yourself out of a, a culture in which you are indulged by the previous manager who you know who's the arm around the shoulder manager you know he's mm. the guy who'll give you the nice talk to he's the guy who'll give you the day off whereas Emery I'm not saying he's a sergeant major but he he isn't going to manage Ozil the same way that Wenger did. And I I really had no issue with that. You know, I think when you're, again, we come back to salary. I think when you're earning £350,000 a week, when you are the highest paid player at the club by some distance, earning nearly twice as much as any other player, this is the highest contract we've ever given any player in in the history of this football club. It's phenomenal money. 
You know, cost us more than any other player we've ever had. When you think of his transfer fee and the wages that we've paid, he's the most expensive footballer in the club's history. Yeah, you know, I I don't think there's anything wrong with pushing that player to give you as much as you can get out of him. You know, I'm not saying fucking flog the guy to within an inch of his life, but Mm. there is a level of expectation and also a level of responsibility on the player's part when you accept that kind of a contract to produce for the club that is that is giving it to you. And I think Emery is not... I don't think he's a stupid man. And I think he will understand or know that Arsenal, with Mesut Ozil playing really, really well, would be a better Arsenal than the Arsenal we're seeing right now. I, I, I truly think he believes that. And I don't believe for a second that this is just some kind of a power play, you know, to show that he won't be pushed around in the same way that he was at PSG with Neymar, because that's, that situation was ridiculous. That had nothing to do with, with Emery, really. You know, this was a guy, Emery or Neymar could go straight to the owner of the club. You know, Qatar bought him, basically, and gave him to mm. PSG. That's how it worked, you know. It's, it was a, a ludicrous um, and actually quite obscene piece of business for, for that to happen. So it's not a normal situation, whereas I think it is a normal situation for a manager to come in and when he's taking over at a new club and when he's taking over a, a team which needs its best players on the pitch to demand the best from them. And if he... I don't think he's doing anything particularly wrong with Ozil. And I think when you look at the team selection last uh, on Wednesday night, you really have to ask what the fuck is going on behind the scenes that we don't know for Ozil to be left out of a game like that. You know, it, it is cutting... Bear in mind, Go on. as well, he's starting Aaron Ramsey in that position. You know, he's starting a player who is not going to stay at the club beyond the summer, who that case is effectively closed, and yet he's getting the opportunity. Mesut Ozil, who's under contract for the next few years on that massive salary, isn't even on the bench. I think that speaks volumes in itself. And and I can only assume it is because Ramsey, whatever his future may be, Emery feels that he is adhering to the tactics and the strategy and the work ethic that he is trying to implement and that's why people like Ramsey or more commonly Iwobi or someone like that or Genduzi are getting these opportunities because they're they're following the the rules they're following what the plan that the manager is setting out and evidently Meza Ozil is not and okay that's a huge problem what about the argument that you know he you see players are um, I want to be diplomatic here, but footballers can be hard to manage, right? Particularly yeah, at this very level. Difficult. Very difficult to manage. They have egos, they have demands, they have wants, they are competitive with each other, they all want to play, and managers at every level of the game, but particularly at Premier League level, will take an awful lot of shit from players. You know, there's a lot goes on behind the scenes and, you know, it's not always hunky-dory, but in pure pragmatic terms, managers will put things aside because they know they have to win games and they have to achieve results. And that's why I think you have to look very closely at this situation, that Ozil wasn't even in the squad for this game. 
you know, Emery was mm. playing Torreira, he was playing Xhaka, he was playing uh, Obama Yang, Iwobi, Mkhitaryan, guys who played a whole lot of football and who were going to feel that in their legs. And he didn't play Mesut Ozil for, for what reason? Tactical reasons, tactical reasons. Come on. I mean, it's just absolute nonsense to think that it was just tactical. It, it can't be tactical to leave a player. And that's, you know, for all the criticism, on his day, a fucking brilliant player, Mesut Ozil. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Creative. He can score goals. He can make goals. He can make the team tick. Now, that day is not uh, doesn't come around as often as we would like, but his talent... And quality, I don't think, is is in question here. It's got to be the attitude. It's got to be the application, whether something has happened again on the training ground. I don't know what it is. But what about the argument, people who will say, let me play devil's advocate here. What about people who will say, well, he should, he should prioritize the team's needs over whatever's going on between him and Ozil, and Ozil will make the team better or is a better option off the bench than, let's say, Eddie Nketiah, you know, who's a, still a very raw, developing young player? I think that's where... I know you said this isn't a power play, but I, I think to an extent it, it has it is as well because you're right. Whatever you may be going on with Ozil, I think he would be a better off the better option off the bench than Eddie Nketiah. He'd be a better off option off the bench than pretty much anybody else we have in the squad. Um, I think that Emery is still trying to establish a culture at Arsenal, trying to build an identity for this team. And I think whatever resistance Ozil is providing, he must regard that as dangerous to his plans and that he must weigh that up against the usefulness of Ozil. And we know his decision. Mm. Um, so it's about it's so about discipline. It, it's about you know if he lets Ozil away with X, Y, and Z, how can he then apply the same measures to anybody else in the squad? Or does it send a message to to other players in the squad? I mean, maybe that's what this is. Maybe it is a well, a, a message that if you do whatever Mesut Ozil has done or behave in whatever way. Because something has happened. There's no question something has happened. You find yourself out of the team regardless of your reputation or regardless of how many Twitter followers you have or regardless of your wages, you are not going to play. And he has to maintain that level of discipline for the benefit of the whole squad. Look, something changed between Southampton and Tottenham, didn't it? Because Ozil, although not in the team, he was included in the squad, he was brought off the bench and then something obviously changed between then and Wednesday. Now, whether that was to do with Emery's assessment of Ozil's contribution as a substitute, which I think it might well have been, it was a bit of an odd performance from Ozil, and we commented on that at the time, or whether it's been a conversation on the training ground, an incident at the training ground, another issue with his fitness that maybe has tried the manager's patience. We would be speculating, but something must have happened before this big derby game, Mm. which he chose to play his strongest team. He was coming off the back of his first defeat for 22 games. He needed a result, and he chose to set Ozil aside. And I think discipline probably is a big part of it. You know, look at Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. He is one of world football's big names. He is one of the top strikers in Europe. But when Unai Emery has asked him to, he has played as a left winger, as a right winger. I've seen him tracking his man, ending up in the left-back position. You know, he has subscribed to the model. He has subscribed to the strategy. And if he's going to do that, then I think Emery probably feels that Meza Ozil has to toe the line too. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, it's very hard to get to the truth of it because the, the Ozil PR machine won't give you anything from that side. You know, they present, and understandably so, they've got a brand to protect as well as a player to protect and, and everything else. But they do it so effectively. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I haven't been on Twitter, but I'm sure, you know, it won't be long till there's something, you know commiserations to my teammates you know we'll, we'll be back no i'm up, not sure know. there has been anything after this one i mean there was after the he missed the other derby he missed the the league win didn't he because he was yeah. uh because he was injured uh with yeah. his with his back problem um but there hasn't been a tweet from Mesut Ozil since december 15th Right. So, you know, there's nothing there um, about the game. Let us let me just look at his tweets and replies. Is there anything in there? No, nothing since December 15th. Busy schedule ahead. Feeling prepared for it. Strong arm emoji. Next stop, Southampton. Yeah, gunners, yeah. Um, it, it's, yeah it's, um, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because if, essentially, as fans, we're sort of, we're not being asked to choose, but, you know, there is a kind of, debate to be had about well you know do we have faith enough faith in Emery to kind of support him in his stance over this whatever it is you know has he earned that degree of trust mm. that we're prepared to accept him leaving out one of our most talented players because he thinks it's well, for whatever reason disciplinary or tactical or fitness the right thing to do um, or you know is Emery's only been in the club a few months you know does he have the, the clout to convincingly pull that off it's a I mean, what what's your impression? Do you do you feel able to comment on it without knowing the ins and outs of what's gone on? My gut feeling is just that there's something fundamentally wrong in the relationship between Emery and Ozil. Uh, you know, it's hard to know exactly what's happened. Like I say, it's very difficult to get to the truth of it. Certainly from from the Ozil point of view. You remember after the after the the incident earlier in the season when he was left out of the squad for, what game was it? The West Ham game, when he found out he was going to be on the bench, there was, according to very credible reports, a a, a training ground bust-up, and that's why he was left out of the squad. It came from more than one source. Um, And then what we had was uh, a story from, I think it was from Rafa Honigstein, writing for ESPN, who gave clearly the Ozil side of the situation, which said, no, there's no problem. You know, it's nothing really. It's blah, blah, blah. You know, so we have that that side of things. And, and people who want to believe that will believe that. And people who want to believe that there was a bust-up will believe the bust-up story. I'm inclined to believe that there was. I, I think uh, there might have been another one as well. Again, it's very hard to confirm. Arsenal won't give you anything in that regard either. But I thought Emery's quotes after the match were really interesting weren't they on Mesut Ozil's yeah. absence it's a tactical decision so many chances yeah. to to play it down yeah exactly he says it's a tactical decision because I thought the players that were with us uh, today were the best choice uh, how did Ozil react to not playing we're thinking of every player we've 24 25 players when they're playing one game and not in another it's the decision today it was tactical would you let Ozil go in January my focus now is analysing this match and also Saturday Saturday against Burnley is very important. We're going to assess every player, uh, how, they're, how they are in training, blah, 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 and whether Ozil has a future at Arsenal. I'm thinking about the match on Saturday and not about another situation, you know. So 
maybe you could say it's his English. He doesn't want to get into it too much in 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 the limited English that he still has. But you know, if you're asked, does Mesut Ozil have a future at Arsenal? You know, if you if you are are behind that idea, you say yes, of course. He's a brilliant player. We want him with us. We want him to be at his best. We want him to help us on the pitch. You know, read between the lines. There's something he said really. It a few months ago, yeah. we are his family. You know, we will support. Him. I I think It'd he be has very easy for him to do that again. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I think he has, you know, from from the difficult summer that Ozil had, uh, you know, Emery was very supportive, publicly very, very supportive. And now he's not so supportive, uh, you know, based on what's happening at the moment, not that he wouldn't support him. And, you know, when it comes to things like uh, the racism that he was subjected to during the summer, of course he would. But, you know, this is football now. This is four or five months into Unai Emery's reign at Arsenal in a season which he knows he has to get this club into the Champions League by hook or by crook, whether it's Premier League or whether it's Europa League, you know, when you look at the squad and you look at the players that we have and you look at the way some of them are struggling, the idea of Mesut Ozil at his best on the football pitch is tantalising. It's obviously something we'd all like to see. So that's why I, I just... You can't look beyond the decisions that he's making and, and think he's not cutting off his nose to spite his face. There's something serious going on here. We don't know what it is, but we've all been around football long enough to know that when situations like this develop between a manager and a player... Uh, and when a player of his stature is left out of a squad, you know, it's not a small thing. It's not a small thing, and it's not a tactical decision. You know, that's what they have to say because they can't really say anything else. But it's not a tactical decision. No. And, and like I said before, I think saying it's a tactical decision, i.e. assuaging the idea, dismissing the idea that it's a, a fitness issue, is the strongest statement yeah. Emery could really make. It's it's a way of communicating something without directly saying it, and there's clearly a big problem there. It's what we're speaking ten days or so before the end of the year, before the January transfer window. <sighs> Who knows? Mm. Who knows what that might bring? I, you know, it's very difficult to see anything happening in January unless you know they can do something incredible. I, I just can't see how he would move in January and. I don't know, there's this whole other side of things as well, isn't there, when you think about what's coming next year with with Adidas, and Adidas and Mesut Ozil are very much um, intertwined. He is one of their big, big ambassadors. And I wonder if there's some kind of commercial element to this, some pressure that might play what a part. interesting to know is, yeah, and what we don't quite know historically is... You know, who were the guys, who was the person who ultimately uh, signed off on this Mesut Ozil deal? You know, was it Arsene Wenger? Was no. it Ivan Gazidis? Who, you, do you know what I mean? Mm. I've heard from people who said that Wenger was obviously happy that Ozil committed to the club, but that the club went too far in terms of what they gave him. I think that, uh, yeah, and I think I saw that in a report in The Independent this morning. As oh, really? Well. I think that has been... Right. I think so, yeah. Um so, you know, I can believe that, knowing what we know of Arsene Wenger. So it's interesting, potentially, that it might have been Gazidis who sanctioned that deal, that salary, and that he's no longer there. Mm. You know, is it is it beyond the realms of possibility to suggest that the powers that be at the club are looking at it and thinking, we sort of have to take this to breaking point in order to get out of this situation? I, I don't know. Mm. But, you know, that's guesswork at this stage. But I, it's clear that there is something very 
serious and very important going on. And I do think as well, it's important that we talk about it. I know that I think some people feel there's sometimes an undue amount of focus on Ozil. But as we said at the top, this is our most expensive player in terms of his wage, probably our most gifted player in terms of his talent. And if we are to achieve our goals, we have to try to maximise that and get some return on that investment or mm. find an alternative. You know, it's just not... It, it's it's a really, really big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. And I don't understand why anybody is playing it down. You know, I understand, You know, I get it as well. There are people who whose favourite player is Mesut Ozil and we all have our favourites and we all want to believe the absolute best in them. And, you know, for the record... If, if we could get Mesut Ozil playing consistently as well as he played against Leicester, then I would be absolutely fucking delighted because that would make Arsenal a much better team, a more creative team, probably uh, a more fun team to watch than we have been yeah. at times this season. So I'm not like in any way anti-Ozil. Uh, I just think that the situation is is bad. I think it's a bad situation and I'm not sure how it's going to get resolved and I'm not sure who's going to benefit uh, when we come to the end of it. So uh, Burnley, Burnley, go on. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think Burnley at the weekend? Do you think he'll be involved? (sighs) Who knows? Who knows? It's almost impossible (laughs) to say, isn't it? You know, you just don't know. You just don't know. I was astonished that he, you know, that he didn't start on, on Wednesday night. I really thought he was going to be in the team. I thought he should have been in the team. So, if he's not if he's not starting a North London derby at home, for whatever reason he's not starting, why would it be different for for Burnley? Or maybe Emery will become the arch pragmatist and put whatever he's got going on aside for the benefit of the team. I don't know. I don't know that we're going to get the truth of this until one of them writes a book. Yeah, it doesn't feel like something that would suit. Really, either Arsenal or Ozil to come mm. out. So, for now, we're, we're we're kind of in the dark. We know there's something there, but it's it's very difficult to decipher precisely sure. what. All right. Well, look, we, we'll be doing an Arscast Extra on Sunday, early on Sunday, uh, given the week mm-hmm. that's in it, of course. So we will be discussing whatever's gone on at Burnley, uh, uh, against Burnley, rather, I should say, because we are at home. And whether Mesut was involved or not, whether Arsenal have won or not, we will talk about all that uh, on Sunday and you can join us uh, for that. In the meantime, James, uh, have a good evening and uh, I'll catch you, catch you at the weekend. Yeah, speak to you soon. Bye-bye. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
You know where to find James. He's on Twitter at Gunnerblog. That is at Gunnerblog. And James and I will be here on Monday. No, Sunday. Because Monday is Christmas Eve. Excuse me, excuse me. No, you can't call it Christmas Eve. It is called the day before the generic festive holiday experience. I know this because I read it in the Daily Express. They've got some very interesting columnists in there. For example, I've... Hey, are you fading me out? What? Yeah, we can't do a podcast on Christmas Eve. There's too much other stuff to be doing on Christmas Eve. So James and I will be here on Sunday taking your questions and all the usual bits and pieces uh, when it comes to the Arsecast Extra. Hopefully lots of good stuff to talk about. It would be a nice little Christmas present, wouldn't it? No, I think he's gone. It would be a nice Christmas present to take three points from Burnley. And hopefully we'll be talking about the uh, the good stuff that happens on the pitch and not the bad stuff that could potentially happen on the pitch. And uh, hopefully the focus will then be on what we do on the pitch and none of the uh, the other the other issues. But I think the, the team selection on Saturday, everyone's going to be keeping a very close beady eye on that one to see who's in the squad, who isn't, who starts and who doesn't. So... Uh, I, I'm I'm very curious, I have to say, about how the next uh, couple of games are, are going to play out. Uh, I did say I'd give you the winner of the competition, the uh, the goodhonestpro.com t-shirt competition. They've got some great Arsenal t-shirts. If you want to go and have a look, goodhonestpro.com. The winners are uh, Paul Housen. Is it Housen or Hansen? There is a good question. It's Hansen. Paul Hansen. Can't read my own handwriting. And Matthias Melander. Well done to you guys. You get the T-shirts. I'll be in touch with you. And, of course, we will uh, get them sent out to you as quickly as we possibly can, hopefully more quickly than I got round to announcing the winners uh, of this particular competition. Um, before we go, a few weeks ago, Andre Arshavin retired from football. His long and, at times, illustrious career came to an end at the age of 37 or whatever it was. But this week, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but uh, it's probably headline of the year in 2018. And let's let's face it, 2018 has been a hell of a fucking year. And there have been some headlines that I never thought we'd see. I never thought were possible. And some of them are funny. Some of them not so funny. But I think this could be up there with the best of them. Ex-Arsenal star Andre Arshavin leaves strip club on a horse and tightly hugs two women. And there is a picture of a quite inebriated-looking Andre Arshavin sitting on a horse, uh, which is, I assume, just parked outside of a strip club where he was in the 1890s, somewhere in North Dakota. Andre Arshavin does Deadwood. Although I have to say, when I saw him on the horse, I, I just hoped he was singing this. That, of course, the uh, the internet classic by Mr. Weeble called Look at My Horse. If you want to YouTube, you can find the, the full version. And it's an earworm. It is an earworm. It's going to get straight into that head. But anyway, fair play to Andre Arshavin. He is thoroughly enjoying his retirement so far. And why not? He worked. I was going to say he worked hard. I mean, he, you know, he, he played football for a long time. And now he doesn't play football anymore. And he can indulge himself in late-night jinx and japery. So well done to uh, to Andre Arshavin. Look, we don't have any team news ahead of Burnley, no injury news or anything like that. So I'm going to leave this particular episode here as ever. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Really appreciate it. We'll be here on Sunday with an Arscast Extra, the final podcast before Christmas. Uh, so let's hope we have a great weekend and we can all go into the festive period, the generic holiday festive experience uh, in 
in good form, in good form, because we've got some difficult games to come. We've lost a couple. It would be good to get, you know, as Andre Arshavin did, right back up on that horse, because the horse is amazing. It's amazing. Catch you on the next one. Until then, folks, cheers. Bye-bye. Ho, ho, ho. Hello there, little boy. What's your name? Deli. Deli? Oh, oh, oh. Were your parents a fan of sliced meats, hmm? Eh, uh, what? Oh, never mind. Have you been a good boy this year, Deli? Yeah, I've been very good and ever. I haven't done anything wrong. I'll check my list to see if you've been naughty or nice. But for now, I'll take your word for it. Now, tell Santa what you'd like for Christmas. Well, I really like to play for Tottenham and win lots and lots of trophies. Well, I can certainly make the first thing happen. But as for the second, I'm Santa Claus, not a fucking miracle worker. <laughs> now piss off, Santa needs a drink. holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.